0: Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19 beginning in verse 11 is where we're going to camp out today. Uh, As we turn back to Acts, I want to share with you from Acts 19 two responses to God's extraordinary work. Two responses to God's extraordinary work. When we break into this text, Paul is in Ephesus. He's been in the hall of Tyrannus lecturing there on the gospel over a two-year period as the disciples are sharing, hey, come here, Paul, and the, the whole Roman province of Asia ends up being saturated with the gospel. So that was sort of like the the headline, and now we're going to dive more into what was happening during Paul's time in Ephesus, starting in verse 11. And we're going to, as we dive more into the Ephesian ministry of Paul, we're going to see once again that that what it happens, according to Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, what's What's significant is the spread or the growth or the increase of the word of the Lord. Back in verse 10, we read about the word of the Lord right before this. And then at the end, in verse 20, we're going to read about the increase of the word of the Lord. And this increase in the word of the Lord, growth of the word of the Lord, was accompanied by demonstrations of the power of King Jesus over Satan and demonic forces and the magic associated with them there in Ephesus. we're going to see that beginning in verse 11. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices." And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you want to see that in the Roanoke Valley? I sure do. In verse 11, we learned that the scope of Paul's work in Ephesus includes more than just gospel proclamation and making tents with his hands. We learned that last week. But this week we see that as the peoples from among the nations there in the Roman province of Asia are coming to hear the word of God, verse 11, God was doing, who was doing it? Are y'all here this morning? Y'all a little sleepy? Who's doing the miracles? god was doing extraordinary miracles how by the hands or through the hands of paul god was the one who worked the miracle he was doing literally ongoing miracles he kept on doing miracles during this time that paul is ministering and they were extraordinary miracles now i don't know about you miracles by definition are extraordinary But these were extraordinary miracles. And and you say, well, what is is Luke saying? Literally, the word extraordinary means not the ones that happen to be. These are not the miracles that happen to be. These are the extraordinary miracles. In other words, these are not things that sometimes get confused for miracles. Like, my sister was on time for Thanksgiving lunch. It's a miracle. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's my sister's father saying that, amen. <laughs> these are real miracles. They're extraordinary. God was doing tremendous things through Paul's hands. And this led people to, to carry handkerchiefs or aprons. The, the words are, these are loan words from Latin. They, they likely are referring to the, the things that Paul used in his work as a leather worker or a tent maker But they took these things to the sick and and they brought deliverance to the sick. Sure enough, we read there in verse 12 that the diseases left them or more literally, if we're to translate it more accurately, they were lifted from the sick. Now, who do you think was lifting the diseases from the sick? God was. It's in the passive voice intentionally. Paul wasn't lifting them from the sick. The people who were carrying the handkerchiefs and the aprons weren't lifting the diseases from the sick. God was at work lifting diseases from the sick and evil spirits came out of them. This this reminds me of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? When people would reach out to touch Jesus. You remember the, the woman with the flow of blood and She'd been bleeding for 12 years and she reaches out in faith and touches Jesus' garment. And he's like, who touched me? He's in a crowd, all kinds of people are touching him, but there's one who reaches out in faith and she's healed. Earlier in Luke 6, we read that as Jesus is ministering to multitudes from Jerusalem and Judea and throughout Tyre and Sidon, all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. When we get to Acts, the Lord Jesus ascends to the Father and the Father and the Son send the Spirit uniting believers with Jesus in his death and his resurrection and empowering them to take the message of the gospel of his rule and his reign and his righteousness and his return to the ends of the earth and the working of miracles has happened earlier in Acts. Why? It's a demonstration that the end times promises to Israel have already broken into reality the lame are walking the blind are seeing those who were deaf are hearing it's not something that's just gonna happen way out there when Jesus returns he's already given us the foretaste so that we can see that life that's promised in Christ has come you got to step into it now he's already prepared the way for the redemption and restoration of Israel that will be finally at his return. Back in Acts 5, as Peter's ministry multiplies in Jerusalem, we read that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all Healed. Church, the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven through his spirit empowered people. And now here in verses 11 and 12 we see God doing it again. He's he's working miracles through Paul's hands and even through indirect contact with Paul as his handkerchiefs and aprons are taken to the sick the the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven it's breaking into Ephesus into new ground where the word of the Lord has come and God is validating the messenger and the message by the miracles and as the kingdom of God breaks in people are experiencing a power greater than anything they've ever witnessed before They were all about power in Ephesus. They were all about magic. They were all about a little bit of a dose of a quick fix that was temporary and then evaporated and went away. But somehow there's a power now in Ephesus when lame people walk and the blind see and they don't go blind again. The diseases leave them and they don't come back. People who had been possessed by the demonic are freed and liberated, never to be inhabited or dwelled again. Not only that, the power is is not just greater, it's also an omnipresent power. Paul's not even there. They recognize, they're thinking Paul is the source of the miracle, but then they take the stuff that had been with Paul, and Paul's not even there, and the miracle has still worked. In other words, there's a tangible representation in Ephesus of this power that is omnipresent. The omnipresent power of Jesus is being tangibly represented in a city that, as Marita writes, was steeped in superstition and interest in magic. So God demonstrates his absolute power in a way that would get their attention. And there's no question that God can work attention-getting miracles. But we need to approach texts such as these carefully. We need to remember that, as Merida writes, Luke is describing historical events and not prescribing for us an activity for us to mimic right now. Paul nowhere advertises himself as a miracle worker. He nowhere tells anyone else to aspire to be a miracle worker. Later, when Paul writes letters to the church, excuse me, to Timothy, on the ordering of churches, how churches should conduct themselves from that time until Jesus returns in the pastoral epistles. When he writes those letters, guess what he doesn't say anything about? Starting miracle ministries. He doesn't write us to, to us about miracle workers. He writes to us about elders and deacons. Those are the two scriptural offices in the church, elders and deacons. This is how, how the church works. You don't see anything in there also, about tongues, by the way, right? The focus in this passage, we need to make sure we get it at the beginning and the end, is on the word of the Lord. It's on the proclamation of the word and obedience to the word. Unfortunately, religious charlatans come to texts like these and they use them to promote or enrich themselves. They'll sell prayer hankies and prayer rugs and promise you financial gain it's like a, it's like the reverse of a country song everything you ever lost will come back in more if you just subscribe now sow that seed that's that is not the point of this text and, and if people are milking the miraculous rather than magnifying the Messiah I want to tell you move on as fast as you can the point of miracles and do they still happen today yes they do i have heard numerous accounts of miracles almost all from places where the gospel is little known and it is being certified and ratified and then once the gospel takes hold in new territory the gospel stands on its own you either believe the word or you don't but the point of miracles is to glorify christ and authenticate the gospel and give a platform for the word to take root in more lives in new territory the mission is the growth of god's word to the glory of king jesus and why is that why why would the mission be the growth of god's word to the glory of king jesus because as we have said again and again over the last several months jesus is the treasure is there anything better than knowing jesus and belonging to jesus i mean it's nice to to be blind and then to see but it is far better to be spiritually blind and then suddenly to behold christ because one will give you a decent life now, one will give you life everlasting in the presence of God. The greatest miracle is to know and behold and belong to Jesus. And that miracle is still being worked every day in the hearing of the gospel as the Holy Spirit convicts sinners and brings them into the kingdom. It's not just that the lame walk, but it is that the dead come to life and suddenly walk with God. It is the miracle of new birth wherein the Holy Spirit graciously changes a sinner at the root of her life, supernaturally uniting her with Christ, placing her in the crucified, risen, reigning, and soon returning Jesus who will raise up her physical body to immortality such that she can dwell with God forever. That's the miracle. And when this happens to you, your life does change, right? things begin to change because you get new affections for Jesus. So Some of you struggle so much in your Christian life because you've reduced the Christian life to a checklist. Man, I messed up today. I, I didn't do this today. I failed in this way today. And, and some of you grew up with offering envelopes that literally had a checklist on it you're like man if I got 10 out of 10 I'm a good Christian this week no matter what's going on attitudinally in my heart on the outside I did everything I was supposed to do no when God changes you and unites you with Jesus he gives you a whole new desire for God and for Jesus let let me tell you what this looks like have you ever seen a young man suddenly become smitten with a young lady you don't have to give him a checklist do you like suddenly he's just different like he had no jobs and now he has two his car was a dump and suddenly now he's armor on those tires twice a week like what is up with this guy he's he's vacuuming the car he's cleaning the car his affections have changed his attention has changed the direction of his attention has changed And, and Meeting and encountering Christ is something like that. You've seen a goofy teenager become some guy who's like putting on a little too much aftershave because he's met a girl. He's wearing cologne. His buddies suddenly wonder where he's gone. His affections changed. Same thing is true when you really encounter Jesus. Your affections change. It's a similar response in a heart that has been powerfully changed by God. The Spirit changes our hearts into hearts that want to adore and worship and be with King Jesus. And that produces the change in behavior. And and when people see God's kingdom powerfully at work to bring hope and healing to this broken world through miraculously changed lives that have new affections for Jesus, This text shows us two possible responses to that. You say that was a long introduction. It was. But now I want to show you two possible responses to the powerful work of God in a a changed people. And the first is this. Some will try to replicate the miraculous by misusing Jesus' name and they will end up defeated they'll try to be pretenders they'll try to get the benefits of the name of Jesus without relationship to Jesus in verse 13 we learn of some itinerant Jewish exorcists in other words they wandered about exercising demons when they see what is happening in the name of the Lord Jesus they undertook to invoke his name as well in other words they tried to use Jesus's name literally If we were to translate this this undertook to invoke literally it is they tried to take in hand the name of jesus don't don't miss what luke is showing us here okay back in verse 11 god is powerfully working how through paul's hands and now what are they trying to do they're trying to take the name of the lord jesus into their hands to use for their They see a superior power. They thought they could co-opt it for themselves by saying some magic words. I adjure you, I implore you by the force of an oath or a spell. And what they said next ought to make us stand up. I adjure you how? By the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Not the Jesus that I proclaim or the Jesus that I know, but I'm going to try to to just grab some Jesus over there even though I have no relationship with him. To them Jesus was not the ultimate king, he's just another power among the powers that happened to be wielded by Paul and they thought they would just monkey around with the name of Jesus and see if they could get in on it too, but as we will soon see, access to the power of God over the forces of darkness is not available through magic words but only through a real relationship with the living Lord Jesus in verse 14 we learn of seven sons of a high priest or a chief priest named Sceva who attempted to turn Jesus's name into a magical oath to be manipulated for their own purposes these seven sons a number of perfection or completion right seven sons Jewish priest has seven sons, everything's looking good. They should have had, what? A heritage of looking for the coming Messiah. But instead, as Peterson writes, they're far from home. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not at the temple. They're far from home, both physically and spiritually, being caught up in the magical worldview of this Gentile city. They think they've discovered an oath to add to their foolish games of dabbling in the darkness, but they're... Trivial regard for Jesus is about to lead to their demise. Friends, we can't just play around with the name of Jesus. In verse 15, they get an unexpected and unwanted surprise, don't they? I adjure you by the name of Jesus that Paul proclaims to come out of this guy. But the spirit didn't leave. He didn't go anywhere. Instead, what happened? He backtalked them like a middle school teenager. Uh I'm not going anywhere. Any of y'all have a middle school teenager? You know like clean up your room? Then the comment that comes out is not yes I love you daddy. Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Brothers and sisters who are you is not a question that the Spirit was asking these seven sons of Skeva to literally answer. It's a rhetorical question and what he's saying is, I don't know who you are. I know who Jesus is and I certainly know who Paul is because he's connected with Jesus. There's an authentic relationship here, but you know what? I don't have a clue who you are and here's what the, the point of that verse is. Evil spirits don't take orders from imposters. People who invoke the name of the Lord Jesus without a real relationship with Jesus don't have power to face the forces of darkness. The reason some people think they're believers but they have no power and victory in the Christian life is because they aren't yet believers. They said some magic words when they were seven, eight, nine, or 10. Yes, I, I surrender to Jesus. I trust in Jesus. I pray to prayer in Jesus' name but I never actually surrender my life. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It is a posture and a disposition toward the king of the universe such that you're really related to him. You can't check a box, pray a prayer, or even get wet into the kingdom of God. You've got to be united with this Jesus. The reason some people don't have victory is because they've recited a magic phrase, but they've never bowed in grateful adoration of King Jesus for his selfless sacrifice. And in verse 16, this, this lone evil spirit humiliates the seven sons of a high-ranking member of the priestly class. He, he leaps on them and masters them or subdues all of them and, and overpowers them. Luke is just heaping up the verbs. In other words, he kicked their tails. One spirit kicked the backsides of seven sons of Sceva. They flee the house and they leave naked and wounded naked and wounded, literally bleeding. As Kellum writes, both their pride and their bodies were wounded. Peterson adds this, the impotence of the imposters was revealed. Brothers and sisters, we are powerless against the forces of darkness unless we have a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. You can't fake it till you make it. You can't hope that it's going to be true. You must know Jesus. The difference between facing the darkness and winning and facing the darkness and being defeated is a relationship with the living Lord Jesus. You say, well, I I know that I know Jesus, and it's still hard. I didn't say it wouldn't be hard. But he gives us a family, and he gives us a community, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. Satan will come after you. He'll try to oppose you, but he will not conquer you if you are in Christ. Church, some will see great things done in the name of the Lord Jesus and rather than bow the knee to King Jesus, they'll try to replicate the good life without laying down their lives for Christ. But not everybody will do that. Praise God, some will by God's amazing grace be overcome by the greatness of Jesus and the worthiness and the authority and the majesty of his name which represents his power and his authority over all things. The second thing that happens when when God does a a powerful work some people verses 17 through 19 some will truly repent of their sin praise God for the gift of repentance in in verse 17 what happened to the sons of Sceva sons who surely seemed impressive until their tails were whooped by one little spirit which became known to all the residents of Ephesus everybody knows about it and what we discover is Jesus is not a power among many powers but he's the creator God who stands over all rivals Paul says it this way in Colossians by him all things are created whether in heaven or on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him he's before all things and in him all things hold together. You can't get power greater than that power. The power at work in Ephesus is unrivaled in all the universe but it is not universally available. It is only available through Christ. The name of the Lord Jesus is effective only where there is a relationship and so we read fear fell upon them all. This is a good kind of fear. The city of Ephesus, at least for a moment, is confronted with this reality. Jesus is not an option among many options. He's the only option. His name is ultimate. And amazingly, he will allow his power to work in and through those who belong to him by faith. However, his name and authority can't be reduced to a a self-serving formula thrown around only when trouble comes. Did you know that, church? We're not just supposed to live for Jesus or look to Jesus when when the bad stuff happens, when it gets hard. We're supposed to be about Him and for Him all the time. His, His name is to be extolled or magnified through total and joyful surrender, not just in the abstract, but in your marriage, in your church, in your 3D group in your workplaces. His his name is so great that we dare not treat it like a crutch to be used when we encounter inconvenience, but an authority under which we orient the totality of our lives. Our working, our praying, our purchasing, our parenting, our leading, our following, and our driving. Oh, no. It's true. I was on the road last weekend, or last week, up to the student winter retreat with my son and uh, there was a lady who was in a big hurry and she just about took off my front quarter panel on my son's side twice and I was not happy about that and I initially did not respond as I ought and then the spirit about three seconds in, was like, what are you doing? Just another person, maybe having a bad day. Even in our driving, we bow our lives to the name of King Jesus. And in Ephesus, many relatively new believers, they hear what happened to the sons of Sceva, trying to be flippant with the name of Jesus and they are convicted they are convicted because they too had been involved with the occult and demonic practices so prevalent in their city we know they are convicted why because in verse 18 what do they do they're confessing and divulging or announcing what they had been involved with they went public with their sin We should not be surprised, by the way, that new believers are confessing more sin. Because when you come to Christ, you confess what you know about, and then you spend a lifetime of learning many more ways that you are falling short of the glory of Christ. And you praise God for His grace all the more. It's it's the cross-eyed life, oh man, I didn't know I was broken in that way. I, Jesus, I didn't even know you had offered to heal me in that way. Praise God for the cross of Christ. I'm I'm liberated to confess that to you. So they, they go public with their sin. Marita says this, they are they are often, there are often practices and ideas that new converts realize that they have to abandon as they come to understand more about Jesus. This is sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness Salvation that, that comes through faith and repentance. Church, it begins a life of faith and repentance. At every stage of repentance, you say, why would I repent more than once? Because you're going to discover something about your life that needs to be repented of and you you announce it and divulge it. The grace of God runs into that space in your life to bring healing and hope and restoration. Every time we repent, it's a declaration that Jesus is better than my sin. Jesus is better than my pride. You're right, I am a knuckle dragon Neanderthal. I need help and hope that only comes from Jesus, and he's making me more and more like him. And it's taken a hard, long time with this one, but he's taken me there. Repentance is a declaration that Jesus is better. Just like most of their neighbors, these believers have been entangled in the temporary fixes and highs. Of magic in the occult and now they realize more than ever that to be joined to Jesus means forsaking any and all alternatives so these believers go public with their sins so that it might be destroyed so their neighbors will know that faith in Jesus is incompatible with magic and all other attempts to manipulate lesser powers to one's advantage y'all magic and manipulation are very related things and there are some people in this room I know because I'm a pastor and I've done pastoral counseling for a while. There there are some people in this room that rather than submitting to Christ's authority and the structures in which He's provided it, you're still trying to manipulate your way. You're still trying to get that advantage at work. Not by just honoring your boss, your supervisor, and taking the low place, but through manipulation. There's, There's wives in here you still just haven't really read Ephesians 5 and trusted God and said, God, if I'm supposed to submit to my husband, I'm going to do it. I'm going to honor him and cheer for him and respect him, and I'm going to believe that God is right. Is this still working? Guys, some of you have neglected your responsibility to wash your wives in the word and to treat her like the trophy that she should be the treasure that she should be to truly love her like Jesus loved the church playing games with life rather than surrendering and submitting to the order that God has given in his word for his church for your home Jesus's name is not to be trivialized is not to be monkeyed around with he has said in his word how he works why do we have sermons every week like you could be doing a bunch of other stuff right now you could go podcast your religion you could go blog your religion you could go do whatever you want to do to get your quick dose your quick fix but god for some reason in his wisdom not mine chose Daniel Palmer to be a pastor of this church and to stand up here for far too long in some of your, your estimation and preach the Bible to you. Why do we do that? I don't know. God said so. God said this like he is doing his work in his church through this consistently. Isn't that amazing? This isn't. You are here that you are here and still listening is an act of faith an act of obedience, it's, it's an act of trust. The same on my part. I have no idea, I mean, he tells me his word a little bit about how it works, but how he uses me, that he uses me, blows me away. But he does. And what do we do? So often we go look for other things, for substitutes, quick hits, quick fixes, to just the long, hard plotting of being faithful in our marriage, faithful to our church, faithful in our 3D group, praying, sticking it out. What are the words of the Christian faith? Their perseverance, their endurance, their long-suffering, their forgiving, the person who hurt me. These are the truths of the Christian life, not, I'm going to go chase my next high all the time. Jesus is my life. He is enough. He sets the agenda, He sets the terms, He guides the steps, He gives the calm and the rest in the storms. He is Lord and He is who we need. In verse 19, 19, we learn the believers who had the the books and the scrolls associated with their practice of the magic arts, they burned them in the sight of all. This is repentance. There's, There's no question about what's happening here. As Peterson says, burning the scrolls was a way of repudiating what they contained and represented. They represented a greater trust in God to deliver them from trouble and supply all their needs. Here's a question. Is there anything in your life that you need to put away once and for all so that you can fully rely on the Lord Jesus? A habit? A narcotic? A website? A drink? A show that's just totally dishonoring to God and then you you veg out on it? But the thoughts that are communicated in that show are far from God in the name of Jesus. Church, victory comes to those who confess the secret sins. They do more than admit they are sinners. They repent of their sin. They turn from it. There's there's no such thing as a Christian who has no need of repentance. When I talk with children about trusting in Jesus, when when they come to saving faith, One of the questions that I love to ask them is this. What is your biggest sin? Hey, so-and-so is wanting to be baptized. He's come to saving faith in Christ. I'll sit down and I'll have a a counseling session with that child and try to get to know them a little bit better and where their thought pattern is on sin. What is your biggest sin? You know what? Every child that's ready, ready to trust in Christ, they got a very good idea of what that is. They're they're not like, well, I don't know if I've ever sinned. No, they know. You want to know the power of God for victorious living in the name of the Lord Jesus? Repent of your sin. Confess your secret sins, your pet sins, your big sins. Lay down whatever is associated with that sin. Burn it up in Jesus' name, as the Ephesian Christians did. Why did they do it? Because they loved Jesus and their neighbors more than they loved themselves or their privacy or their pride or the money that they could have had by just selling their scrolls. They could have sold the scrolls and then enabled the sin of others, but for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus and belonging to him and living in his victory and for the sake of their testimony and ultimately for the love of Christ, whose name and power and authority are enough, what they do, they burned the scrolls that could have been sold for 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, I've seen a lot of estimates about what that would be the equivalent of today, and I think... The estimate that hit me between the eyes the most was this. One piece of silver was about a day's wage. So if you divide 50,000 pieces of silver by the number of days that that would cover, somebody could live on 50,000 pieces of silver for 137 years. It's a lot of money. It's the equivalent of millions of dollars today. For the love of Christ and in reverence of His great name, I want to urge you, beloved, to reject any semblance of playing around with the name of Jesus and just surrender to him. Some who are married might need to go home, level with your spouse, forgive one another, and move forward in victory. Some, some students who are here in this room might might need to stop living for acceptance in school or on social media and instead really start living for the one who made a way for us to be accepted by God by taking our place on the cross. Some who are more concerned with when or where we worship might need to regain their focus on why and who we worship. May God forgive us for being satisfied with substitutes for knowing and belonging to His Son. Jesus' church has a name above every other name. Because in perfect obedience to His Father, He lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, rose on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and sent the Spirit to miraculously unite fallen sinners with Himself, giving us a full share in His victory over death, the devil, and all the forces of darkness. So this morning, if you've been trying to get by... With playing with Jesus's name if you're still spiritually dead I want to invite you to come alive come awake this morning confess your sins of self reliance and stubbornness embrace your great need to know Jesus and his power throw away literally if necessary whatever sin stands between you and Jesus no matter the cost and as you do not only will Jesus save you or if you already know him forgive you deeply and begin to change you I know he will do it because he has that authority in his name. In church, when the church gets right with God, something else happens. Wherever there is real repentance and renewed reliance on Jesus, look at verse 20, very quickly. Do we want to see revival in our community? Do we want to see the gospel run through our community? When the church gets right with God. When the church stops playing games and starts surrendering to the name above every other name, look at what happens in verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase. Luke has told us again and again and again that the word of the Lord increased, but now he adds, and prevail mightily. May the word of God grow because God's people get right. And may it prevail mightily in us and then into the watching world. Church, wherever something of real spiritual significance happens, it will only be because God's Word prevails mightily. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for your Word and your truth. Thank you for the opportunity to extol and magnify the name of Jesus this morning. God, thank you for the foolishness of preaching. God, your, your wisdom is greater than our wisdom. Your ways are greater than our ways. We have no idea how you do what you do oftentimes and yet you do it and we give you praise. And God, this morning there are broken people in this room. There are people who have been fighting against the forces of darkness without submitting to the name of Jesus. And God, I pray today would be a day of liberation. That they would walk out free and whole and restored for the glory of Christ. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at NorthRoanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.